Last class, we have started with the section, the, the chapter which is titled as the advice to the householders. And we will continue with Sri Ramakrishna's conversation with Kedar, Master and other disciples as on August 13, 1882. So on that date, the conversation which was going on, as has been recorded almost in the last section on that debt, uh, we will uh, continue our discussion with those paragraphs. So to Kedar and other devotees, Sri Ramakrishna is conversing with them. God can be realized through all paths. All religions are true. The important thing is to reach the roof. You can reach it by stone stairs or by wooden stairs or by bamboo steps or by a rope. You can also climb up by a bamboo pole. So means may be the different, but the goal is the same. So this is the thing many nowadays objects to. That means are also different, goals are also different. That's what the various religions will say. Why? Because if we study the idea of the highest attainment, as has been described in the theological literature of all the religion, there seems to be a lot of difference. The idea of heaven in the Abrahamic religions is totally different from the idea of liberation as has been enunciated in Vedanta. And again, within Vedanta, the various schools, the schools of the dualism, the qualified non-dualism, the Advaita, the non-dual, the idea again we find, where is there? So naturally the question comes that how come that the goal is the same? Well, if we go to the theological study, the doctrines and the dogmas of all the religion. Of course, the means also are different. The goal also is different. But there is a particular section in all the religion. Those who were not sub satisfied with the mere make-beliefs, that religion gives us a belief system. We try to integrate our life 
by adhering to that belief system. As long as religion satisfies only that purpose, the purpose to integrate of life with the varied belief systems that we find in various, various religion. There, of course, is various means as well as various goals. So as very nicely in our scriptures, the word dharma has been defined. There are two definitions of dharma. One is dharayate iti dharma. That which integrates you, that which holds you is dharma. <clears throat> From that standpoint, the this modus operandi, the way the operation, the, all the religion operates, there are various modes, the goals are also different. But the purpose which it serves, it do help us to integrate our life. That like any other beings, the human being also has its biological impulses. If as a human being, we leave our life to those biological impulses, there cannot be any civilization as such. It has to be regulated. And the religion till now, for thousands of years, religion was playing that role. In the modern world, of course, uh, we will find psychology or something, uh, some subjects like that is trying to replace the role of religion. Uh, but still, if any force is the greatest force, even in the present world, with our conscious attempt to get rid of religion, still, if any force is the greatest force, is the religion. The people, at last you will find, today or tomorrow, it's in our blood. Maybe uh, as long as they, they are in the students, as in the universities and all, where the academic course are designed in such a way that counseling, everything depends on psychology. But somehow we find as we proceed to our life, we reach the so-called the middle age. When the midlife crisis starts, we find there's a throng of that huge population who were prone to be secular is somehow or other adhering to some form of spirituality. They tend because after all, with all the uh, literature, all the scientific discussions on psychology and neurology with which we try to define our life, it can never give us the answer to the other dimension of our existence, which we can never curve, we cannot stop. We cannot say that let us stop asking question about afterlife. It is bound to come. That we can never think us limited. Sir, Anantaya Kalpata, as human being in one form or other, it is bound to come. As long as death reigns in the earth, religion will be there. We all want to have an idea that what happens after death. So when there's this belief system helps us to quench the thirst of that what happens after that, it doesn't quench the thirst, it somehow pacifies us within certain belief system and helps us to integrate our life based on those belief system. And to a great extent, it had played the role and it is playing the role in keeping the human being, in keeping the society integrated. So that's why though 
we find that uh, there were attempts where uh, the society was thinking of getting rid of religion totally. It is again creeping in, it's coming because uh, all have started feeling that somehow or other religion is going to stay. It is a basic necessity of man. We cannot get rid of it. So again, it has started to be acclaimed. People somehow or other says, yeah, well, it has to be there. We have to acknowledge it. So, but at the same time, we find this lot of variety there. In spite of variety, we say that it's all serving the purpose of integrating our life. So that way it's okay. Though the belief system is different, though the goal which they speak of is different, but as per the integrity of life is concerned, that we sometimes become a psychological wreck without any belief system. So the belief system helps to a great extent to maintain our integrity, our society, uh, so the societal in integrity, family integrity. It helps us to maintain that integrity. And that's why dharayatiti dharma, that which helps us to integrate. In that sense, the definition is correct. But there, what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that all we reach the same roof, that cannot be ascertained. But there is another section of religion. That is Vishishyate iti dharma. The words in, word, in Sanskrit, the word dharma is used in so many other contexts. Like what is the dharma of water? What is the unique characteristic to speak of the unique characteristic of a thing is its dharma. Like to flow is the dharma of water. What is the dharma of fire? To give heat is the dharma of fire. Similarly, the unique characteristic of a human being is his dharma. Integrity, that's one sense, that is vidharayate, and that is vishishyate. As a human being, what is our uniqueness? What is the difference which we, as a human being, uh, have from all other beings? What is, the, what is that uniqueness? That we ask the meaning of life, the question of meaning of life. It is something inherent in us. All other creatures are just happy to live the life. They're just living the life. They never ask for the meaning, the purpose. As a human being, that question is always there. And we are always in search of it. And that search leads to another type of religion where we find the adherents of that religion are not satisfied only with the belief system. They dive deep within through a process of contemplation. That process of contemplation again may be different. At last, leading to a certain realization where we find that all the religions are speaking the same thing. It is a, it is a unitary experience, the experience of the unified whole behind the entire creation from which the entire creation has came out. There's this, this variety, the prapancha, which I see behind that, there is a unity. All the variety has, as a source, has that unity. So the question of this unity in diversity comes from there. When you see the same thing is finding expression as this universe, then the question of this unity in diversity comes. 
that behind all this diversity, there is, is something from which the creation has came up. And that the idea of that unified ultimate existence, we find in the language of all the mystics, whether it is a Christian mystic or it is a Vedantin or it's a Sufi saint in the Islam tradition, any tradition you go, they all speak of that unity. And if you read their language, you will find they are as if speaking the same thing. As in the words of Sri Ramakrishna, Shekhane Shab Shealer Akra, all the fox howls in the same manner when they reach that realization. So if you take the language of the mystics, there we find all are speaking the same language. So from that perspective of religion, Sri Ramakrishna is saying these words, that God can be realized. Just see, it is not a question of belief. He's not speaking that, how to, that the belief of God is same in all the parts. It's a question of realization. Something which I am seeing face to face. I'm seeing the truth face to face. So then the question of realization comes. It's not mere belief. So God can be realized when you are trying to realize. Then the question of unity comes. So God can be realized through all parts. All religions are true. The important thing is to reach the roof. The roof here speaks of that the experience, that unitary experience. That's the thing which has been spoken of as the roof. The important thing is to reach the roof. You can reach it by stone stairs. The paths may be different or by wooden stairs or by bamboo steps or by a rope. You can also climb up by a bamboo pole. So this even uh, the same thing we find is been spoken of in all the yogas. The Jnana Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Raja Yoga, Karma Yoga. Swami Vivekananda in one of his lectures of Karma Yoga very nicely has said that all the yogas are the various paths, but the aim is, the goal is, what's the goal? Obliteration of the ego. When this limited ego falls off, it takes you to that, that non-dual experience, that experience of that non-local self. The ego speaks of the locality, it falls off. It takes us to that non-local experience of the self. So that happens with the obliteration of the ego, whether it is through the detached action, but when I'm doing any action, that it is a desire which speaks of the ego. The ego wants the result. The detached action speaks of that removing the desires, which speaks of annihilation of the ego. Discrimination is something direct that what my psychophysical existence, whatever I see is not me. Something behind that, who is the eternal observer is the real me. Through that process, again, we can obliterate the ego. The devotion, in the devotion, when I love the ideal, that love gives such a tremendous absorption, that absorption makes me forget everything. And at last, the ego, which needs a small part of my mind to remain intact, that also is taken away by the object of devotion to again lead to the obliteration of ego and the realization of the self. Or it may be through the concentration. When you focus your mind and all the vagaries are 
of the mind are I means taken care of, it all stops, that again can take you to the obliteration of the ego. So all the paths may be different, but once the ego is obliterated, the realization in which all the mystics have been established, has got established, is the same. And that's the word of Sri Ramakrishna, Shekhane Shop Shialet Akra. All the fox holds in the same manner when they reach that state of realization. So, so this we have to understand very clearly that religion has this two section. One is the belief system. There, path is the different, goal is the different. But there is another section which is the mysticism. It is not more belief. It is a practice to practice to go to a type of realization. There we will find all the religion is speaking of same type of experience. The language may be a bit different, but what they are trying to say it's all equaling the same language. So from that sense, from that mystical point of view, Sri Ramakrishna is saying that all the paths lead to the same goal. You may say that there are many errors and superstitions in another religion. I should reply, suppose there are. Every religion has errors. Everyone thinks that his watch alone gives the correct time. It is enough to have yearning for God. It is enough to love him and feel attracted to him. So this is something which is very important. That what you believe is not important. You may believe anything, but how intensely you love your belief system, that is important. Because whatever we believe is after all mere belief. There cannot be something more true or less true about belief. Belief is belief. Belief is one thing, truth is another thing. Truth is the fact. What I see is truth. The belief doesn't come into picture. What I don't see, I suppose it that it must be there. That is belief. So belief can never have eyes. There's a very interesting conversation of Ramakrishna and Narendranath in some other part of the gospel, when young Narendranath told Ramakrishna that such and such belief is a blind faith system. It has a lot of superstitions. Immediately Sri Ramakrishna asked him, can you, can you just tell me which faith, which religion is not blind? All are blind. As long as you are just believing. When I say God is, have I seen God? If I have not seen God, it is just a mere belief. And as long as the belief is there, how can you say some belief is higher, some belief is lower? Belief is belief. All are blind. Then you may say, then why to resort to a belief? Because if you resort to a belief wholeheartedly and you develop devotion for it, it speaks of a particular type of programming which takes you to the realization. What's the programming? Whatever may be your belief. When I am having a tremendous faith on my belief system and I resort to a type of contemplation to whatever I believe, it what happens at the beginning that will, I'm using my willpower to keep my mind fixed on my belief system, the concept, my concept of God. And that will, that will helps to develop 
a path in my mind. Because we know what we do again and again, that creates as if a path in my mind, the neuroplasticity. Once the path is created, then what happens? We will find that all the things which we like is nothing but the path which has been created in the mind and the mind tends to traverse to that created path without any purpose. Previously, most probably there was a purpose for which I was traversing that path again and again. Once the path is created, now I become obsessed by it. The same thing happens with the belief system. When I really with faith hold to a belief and with my own resolution, with all my resolution and practicing, it leads to the formation of a path as if, as if a path in my mind. And then the devotions grows in, comes in. And that devotion, the more that devotion becomes intense, the mind becomes more and more focused, more and more focused. And the more the mind is focused, the other thing starts falling off. Even the bodily feeling starts falling off. And at last you will find that the ego, which has to hold on, that the mind has to hold on to that ego, a small portion of the mind has to keep the ego intact. That also is taken away by your object of concentration. And then you become one with the object of meditation. This is the state which has been called as Samadhi, where the concept of this three, the triad, the Dhyana, Dhyata, Dhyaya, the process of meditation, the one who is meditating and the object of meditation, they collapse. You become as if one with the object of meditation. Because if the, when the ego falls off, the idea that I am meditating cannot be there. It, you, yes, you become one with the object of meditation. And when that happens, a wonderful thing happens. Whatever may be the object of meditation, you will find what has happened. It was just a framework which you were chiseling out in the wall of ego. That's what Ramakrishna says. You were as if chiseling out from the wall of ego, that concept of divinity. That's, that's the thing you were chiseling out. And when the ego obliterates, you have created as if a hole in the wall of ego through which you peep and you see the infinity. There's a wall, you don't know what's on the other side. You start chiseling out a particular shape. And when the chiseling is complete, the, that, that shape, in that shape you get a hole and through that, that hole you peep and you see this infinite expanse. And now as you have chiseled in a particular form, that concept, your concept of divinity is that in which you have chiseled. And now you say, my God is infinite. Everyone has chiseled as per their concept of God and they all feel my God is infinite. But actually what has happened? All has chiseled in the wall of ego and are peeping through a hole. The hole may be of varied shape as per the concepts of God, but they're all peeping to that same infinite. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say that all the concepts of divinities, forms of divinities are a hole in the wall of ego. In some other portion of the gospel, he's saying. So now you will understand that as long as I have not chiseled to make it whole, it is just a particular form, a particular framework, a particular belief, a particular imagination. But that imagination has the, has the potentiality when the chiseling is complete to take you to the realization. So today's imagination becomes tomorrow's realization. It is imagination. 
the at what at i do at present when even i am concentrating on god the idea of divinity which i have that may be totally different from your idea but if i am contemplating on it and that con- that contemplation has become very intense because of devotion and that devotion has came because of my resolution to practice it again and again this will chisel out just in that framework in the wall of ego because that's the thing we were saying that when my mind gets focused at what happens at last how do you get the samadhi when that i am meditating that idea also falls off how it falls off because we have found that when we i am focusing what happens first the external distractions falls off i am watching a the tv news very intently someone calls i don't hear as my mind is totally engaged in hearing the news the other things is not registered by the mind if i am still more focused some match is going on is the time for dinner i forget so what happens the bodily feelings is all these bodily feelings alarm system they also need a part of the mind that also has been taken away by your object of concentration they start falling off at last this little part of our mind always remains uh, connected to the ego this sense that i am this body mind complex it never falls off it's always there with me that also at last because when the focus becomes extremely qualitative that also is taken away by your object of concentration whatever it may be if you can believe anything wholeheartedly that's why faith is very important in religion whatever you believe if you have full faith that can take you to the realization because the it is a matter of programming what you believe that is not important the same programming is followed that whatever may be they believe it whether you believe x y z that we don't bother about it but the quality of your focus depends on the faith on it if you have simple faith on it resort to it today's imagination will becomes tomorrow's realization you will be chiseling out a hole in the wall of ego and that will enable you to relate to the other dimension of existence which the ego was not allowing us to relate to that falls off and then uh, we can relate to that other dimension where the ego falls off so with uh, this discussion let us read again those few lines of ramakrishna you may say that there are many errors and superstitions in another religion first line i should reply suppose there are the next line is important every religion has errors however sophisticated may be my religious belief it is a belief system resorting to which i will start chiseling it's all error when i say aham brahmasmi and i think that those who believe in some very very gross form of uh, religion they are far inferior to me but we forget what he is believing is a belief what i am thinking as a very sophisticated thought process is a belief yeah, i have not realized it but the question is of faith if that person with full faith resorts to that so called crude belief it can take him to that ultimate realization you know that in the that in the gospel of sri ramakrishna in some other place sri ramakrishna is relating a very nice incident that it is it is actually incidents in the life it is a, it is a f- fact of 
in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was traveling in the South India, one day he saw that in the bank of the river, someone was uh, reading the Bhagavad Gita, chanting the Bhagavad Gita. And some other person who appeared to be totally ignorant, a common a very, uh, person who has no scholarship, he's just an ordinary person. He is just sitting there and was having profuse tears. He was crying with profuse tears flowing out of his eyes. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a bit curious. It, it appeared to him that that man is not understanding anything what's been chanted. Why he's crying? So he went and asked him, that what make you cry? Overwhelmed with this emotion. And this man, what he replies is something wonderful. That, sir, I don't understand what he's chanting. But I know that he's chanting Bhagavad Gita. That much only I know. And I know that Bhagavad Gita, what it speaks of, that Krishna is sitting on the chariot. He's instructing Arjuna. That's what I visualize. That Krishna is instructing Arjuna. Seeing the Lord of my heart in my vision, I cannot hold my tears. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told you are blessed. What's the what's at the end of studying Gita? What I want? That's what Ramakrishna used to say. When you say Gita ten times, the in the entire the what you say the essence of Gita can be understood. If you go on saying Gita Gita, it becomes Tagi Tagi. It is like Tyagi Tyagi. Means renounce the world and hold on to the God. And this man has done that. He has developed a tremendous love for God, which will allow him to, en to enter into the state of flow. And ultimately the ego is bound to fall off with that, that type of devotion, leading him to that realization. So there's no need for understanding the scripture. His faith itself can take him to the realization. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu immediately was so pleased. He told you are blessed to have this type of love for God. So this is the idea. So it is enough to have yearning for God. It is enough to love him and feel attracted to him. Don't you know what God is? That Don't you know that God is the inner guide? He sees the longing of our heart and the yearning of our soul. So that's the thing needed. The more you have that longing, the yearning, the more the goal is nearer to you. Then what Sri Ramakrishna says is again, this, this, his words so simply he you can describe. Suppose a man has several sons, several sons. The older boys address him distinctly as Baba or Papa. But the babies can at the best call him Ba or Pa. They are yet to have their vocabulary, learn the language. Somehow one or two syllables they speak. So they cannot say Baba or Papa. They just say Ba or Pa. Now, will the father be angry with those who address him in this indistinct way? The father knows that they too are calling him only. They cannot pronounce his name well. All children are the same to the father. Likewise, the devotees call on God alone, though by different names. They call on one person only. God is one, but his names are many. So, whatever may be the concept of divinity, whatever may be the name, it's not what concept you believe, how, with how much love 
your calling. That's what is necessary in the spiritual life. And with such a simple allegory, Sri Ramakrishna is explaining that, that, that it is a love which enables us to enter into a state of flow, which obliterates the ego at last, taking us to the realization. So this is the step which is followed in all the religion, all the mystics have followed the same path, knowingly or unknowingly. Their faith led them to, a, to love the, um, the, the concept of divinity in which they believe. That enabled them to enter into a state of flow, which at last obliterated their ego, taking them to the realization. So next, now on Thursday, it's on some other day, uh, the conversation is now continuing some other day. Thursday, August 24, 1882. Sri Ramakrishna was talking to Hajra on the long northeast veranda of his room when Aim arrived. He saluted the master reverently. Master, I should like to visit Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar a few times more. The painter first draws the general outlines and then puts in the details and colors at his laser. The molder first makes the image out of clay, then plasters it, then gives it a coat of whitewash and last of all paints it with a brush. All these steps must be taken successively. It's a very interesting thing he's saying that when you're making an image, you just give a form and then allow the clay to dry. And then only for some time as if no one is working. When the one who is making the image, you see that the first he will just apply a layer of clay and just give the form. And then for days together, he won't be there. He just will go to for some other work. And you feel as if, oh, he has not completed the work. He's uh, taking so much of time, but actually the clay needs time too. Uh, get dried, then only he can come and give the real specific shape to it. And after that, again, he has to wait for a few days to put the final color. So this, the time which appears that he's nothing is being doing, actually the seasoning is going on there. The statue, the, the image is being mellowed. It is seasoned. And that's the time which is required. I cannot just do it in one go. So in spiritual life also, we will find that all the instructions, like we find in the gospel, Sri Ramakrishna is going on with the instructions, the same instructions again and again. Why? Because these instructions has to seep in, into our psyche. It has to seep in. And when gradually when it seeps in, our life starts changing gradually. It cannot happen in one day. So there sufficient patience and perseverance is required to really enable one to unfold spiritually. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying that after visiting Ishwachandra Vidyasagar, he found that even unknowingly, just by his love and compassion for all beings, he has developed quite a far. But still, now he still needs a little more spiritual opening to just take the farther leap in the spiritual life. So the stage by stage he has to go. So I should like to visit Ishwachandra Vidyasagar a few times more. The painter first draws the general outlines 
and then puts in the details and colors at his laser, not in once, in laser. The molder first makes the image out of clay, then plasters it, then gives it a coat of whitewash, and last of all, paints it with a brush. All these steps must be taken successively. Vidyasagar is fully ready, but his inner staff is covered with a thin layer. He is now engaged in doing good works, but he doesn't know what is within himself. Gold is hidden within him. God dwells within us. If one knows that, one feels like giving up all activities and praying to God with a yearning soul. So this is something very important Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That there's a very nice sloka in Sanskrit that if we try to categorize the process of learning through which we educate ourselves, either in our academic education or it's a spiritual realization. It has to go in four steps. The one fourth of our education comes from the instruction. There's a teacher who is instructing, I'm listening. From that, just one fourth of the knowledge can be imparted. So the first one fourth is Padam, Acharyat Padam Adhyat. The teacher is there, his instructions are there to give just one fourth of the knowledge. And then the next one fourth from where it comes, the first is Acharya, Acharyat Padam Adhyat. The next, Padam Shishya Samedhaya. Now all don't have the same faculty of intellect. In a classroom where there are so many students, the same teacher is giving the same instruction to all. All the students don't understand in the same way as per the intellect, as per their concentration, as per their focus. Some will understand better, some won't. It never happens that all understands in the same way. Some will understand it correctly. Some will just totally make a total uh, uh, opposite view of what has been told because he doesn't have that faculty to understand it properly. So there may be so many views. So another one fourth depends on our intelligence. So that's what is said that first one fourth comes from the instruction, next one fourth from the intelligence. Padam Acharyat Padam Adhyat Padam Shishya Samedhaya. Now half is gone, another half, another two quarters remain. What's the third quarter? Padam Sabrahmacharibhya. So now you will find in the education system that peer groups are very important. The teacher instructs, he leaves. Now there will be discussion. Through discussion, another one-fourth idea gets cleared. That when the teacher was teaching something I understood well, some other portion you understood well, and now we all start discussing. And through discussion, we find that the ideas are getting more clearer and clearer. So that is the third quarter. The last quarter is very important, which has to do something with what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. The last quarter, the first, again we said Acharyat Padamadhyat, that's the first. Padam Shishya Samedhaya, that's the second. Padam Sabrahmacharibhya, that's a peer learning. There's a third. The last quarter is Padam Kalakramenacha. It's only through time. When the instruction has been given, the teacher also should know with all the process, learning, intellect, peer group discussion, still something will be there which has 
It has to be learned through the experience. We have to be mellowed, seasoned by our experience. Then only we can understand the true import of what has been taught. And that's why we find that it's much later when we were students, we never realized that what role the teacher played in our life. Our respect for the teachers again comes back thousandfold when we have grown up. Why then we start realizing what he told do make sense. Through the life's experience now I start realizing. So in spiritual life also, the guru has to be very patient. That even in spite of all the instructions, we may find that he will be failing to understand in its proper sense. The teacher, the parents, everyone has to have that patience. We have to keep something for the experience to happen. And then the real knowledge dawns in. And that's why in our scripture, it has been spoken of that the knowledge comes through the process of sravana, manana, nididhyasana. After hearing, when the student is cogitating upon it, the guru's role is not over. He will be having lots of gaps of understanding. And then again, the guru has to patiently wait through that, all those doubts, to take him through all those doubts till he gets an intellectual conviction. And then the real practice starts. All our practice is nothing but contemplation on our intellectual conviction. Till you have a conviction, you won't have the motivation for practice. As long as the doubt is there about the goal which has been spoken, I can never get the motivation. Once intellectually and convinced what has been spoken of is make, do make sense, then only you get the motivation for the practice. The guru has to wait, has to take the disciple, guide the disciple through that process of sankshaya, that doubt. And he can do it only when the student has faith. And what's the faith? That he somehow has the faith that what guru has told what the scripture has told is correct. He's humble enough to accept the fact I don't understand it. Now, if the, here that's the thing that we should understand. Many say that faith is like blind belief. It is not blind belief. Just the way I can learn nothing in science unless I have faith. And the way a primary student, if he asks that, just prove me the theory of relativity. Can I prove it to him? Impossible. He doesn't have that fund of knowledge which will enable him to really understand that how is equal to mc square or how this, uh, this, uh, this theory of relativity, what it speaks of. It's impossible. He just have to have faith that these are all scientific discoveries. I'm yet to have that level of understanding to understand them. And with that faith, he pro proceeds in his education. And then when he's in the university level, then he's apt, then he's capable of understanding all those scientific theories, scientific inventions and discoveries. He can then only understand. Similarly in religion, that faith is required. If you don't have the faith, if you say that is there all bogus, these are all make-beliefs, then there is no question of progress. But if with humility we accept that all the spiritual truths which has been spoken of by the spiritual teachers is genuine, they are not hypocrites, just for the love of humanity, they came down from the realization to relate 
their experience. I am the one who is am yet to develop that level of understanding. So there's a gap in understanding. So I go on trying. That's the process of manana. And there again, the guru has a role to play. He sometimes appears to be indifferent. He's actually not indifferent. He allows the student to go through that process so that the experiences which he gathers in the process helps him. And then the teacher again becomes as if active. The so-called teacher who was appearing to be indifferent, again, he becomes active. So teacher has to be very patient. Just as the student has to be patient, he has to persevere. The teacher also has to have that patience and perseverance. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is speaking. That Vidya Sagar has progressed just by near uh, practicing that compassion. He has already obliterated his ego to a great extent. When I'm practicing compassion, altruism, you're thinking of others. The others are more important than you. So ego is already obliterated. But unless the idea or the spiritual portal opens up, this won't help as such in spiritual illumination. So when the ego has obliterated sufficiently, then the question of opening up of the, the spiritual portal comes into existence. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying that Vidyasagra is fully ready, but his inner staff is covered with a thin layer. He is now engaged in doing good works, but he doesn't know what is within himself. Gold is hidden within him. God dwells within us. If one knows that one feels like giving up all activities, praying to God with a yearning soul. When that happens, the true sufficient chitta shuddhi by doing good without the yearning for the results, then the chitta gets cleansed. And then the, the question, the, the, then the uh, question for the meaning of life is bound to come. Because all the selfless action at last you will find is bound to take us dive within. It is bound to make us dive within. Why? Because with all our actions, at last you will find it cannot be the permanent solution. As we again and again say that Ramakrishna is to say that the world is a dog's curly tail. The action by itself can never give you ultimate satisfaction. You will find the repercussion coming in various ways. The way you thought the problems will be solved is never solved. It finds expression in some other way. And then you're bound to ask, is this the goal or something else? And then the, it's the time for the guru to instruct him about the spiritual dimension of existence, to say that all these actions were actually not meant to bring change to the world. It only brings temporary relief. It cannot bring permanent relief. It was not meant for that. It was meant for the obliteration of the ego so that you can realize the spiritual dimension of your existence. So then he instructs him with the, the spiritual dimension of the existence and, dive, and tries to reorient his life so that his focus now changes to dive within. The actions has helped him to obliterate his ego. Now the final thing is just to the journey of the alone, to the alone. It takes him back to this 
to from where he started. It's a cyclic process. From the infinite we came, and again to the infinite we have to merge. And that's possible only through the renunciation. And that renunciation comes only after we have the sufficient chitta shuddhi. The entire process of evolution is actually when we are evolving, we are at the same time renouncing. Constantly, this renounce, you may say, how? That just say that a single bacteria in the process of evolution, what it is doing? It was performing everything as a singular cell. But to evolve when it conglomerates, so that the conglomeration has a sense of identity, not the, no more the individual cells. It has renounced so many functions which it was doing alone. It has given it to others. That's how the division of labor is happening. So the renunciation, even when as a human being, as a small child, whatever he gets, he grabs. If he has a pocket money, he will just spend it for himself. The moment he becomes a responsible parent, he cannot do that anymore. That the money which he has, even if he has to go buy something, immediately the thought of his children is bound to come. He has to first think of them, buy for them, and then only he can buy for him. Again, you see the renunciation is bound to come. As you are evolving, renunciation is bound to come. Ultimately, to take you to a state where just the thin layer of that ego is there, where you need just a little instruction about the spiritual dimension of existence. Because why it is required? With all this endeavor at last, the spiritual dimension I am not aware of. And so I find as if I am at the end of a maze. The road has ended. It has taken me nowhere. Though my ego has obliterated, but it cannot take me to the final goal. And there I need the instruction of the Guru to show me that there is a way out. It, the road has not ended here. It has helped me to get rid of the ego. The same getting rid of the ego can now take me to that final goal once I am aware of the spiritual dimension of existence. And then on the role of the Guru is there to impart him that knowledge of the spiritual dimension of existence so that now he can continue in his pursuit of obliteration of the ego. He was doing it. We, all of us as a human being, as we evolve, we are constantly obliterating our ego. The final obliteration, which can take us to the spiritual realization, for that, the spiritual dimension has to be opened up. And for that, the Guru is there, the scriptures are there. If the uh, if there was no need for any instruction apart from our sensate world, there was no need for the scriptures, there was no need for the Guru. The signs would have been sufficient, but there is a dimension of existence which is beyond the senses, beyond the mind. For that, the scriptures are there. The Guru is there to open up that portal. And they, they can open it only for those who have sufficiently evolved by performing their responsibilities by undergoing all the responsibilities and in that process have already obliterated their ego. Unless the ego has obliterated to a great extent, spiritual instructions won't work. We will find many are there who in the name of religion just wants to run away to the comfort zone by from the, the runaway from the challenges of life to the comfort zone. They may try to make themselves believe, fool themselves by saying that it is religion, but it is no religion. It cannot help them. 
guru is there here comes the question of this uh, adhikar that who is having who is competent sometimes we say that that uh, spiritual instructions is for all yes we may instru- it, it may be instru- it may be imparted to all but it won't help those who is not ready for it the knowledge can be given but one who is not ready for it in no way it is going to help so that's why guru waits for the one who is ready for it who who has not tried to escape from life by being in life by taking care of all the responsibilities in the process has already obliterated the ego to a great extent his chitta is already shuddha cleansed now that instruction will really work not before that just sri ramakrishna in some other place gives a wonderful example that when you have an abscess unless the abscess is sufficiently ripened the doctor won't operate on it he will say you have to wait for some time so here also the guru waits he says that yes your ignorance has to fall off still a little more it so this that what you say that the abscess can be easily removed it is it has been ripened so you have to wait you have to allow that to be a bit more seasoned matured as if and then only he can operate on it so here also sri ramakrishna is saying the same thing that vidya sagar has already gone through that process he has only that little layer of ignorance and now the instruction can work wonder on him so that's why he is eager to meet him a few more times because after all we will find that ramakrishna out of compassion is instructing the world and whenever he finds someone who is ready enough to take his instruction it is he who is eager it is not the shishya who is eager it is a guru when he finds a competent shishya he is eager to deliver the knowledge it is because out of compassion he has came down to help mankind human kind and that's what we find in the words of ramakrishna it is his love that seeing vidyasagar already so much evolved but at the same time the spiritual dimension has not opened up for him he is eager to help him out it's not that just that vidyasagar is an influential person and that's why ramakrishna wants to meet him again that's that will be a shallow way of understanding to understand that it is out of compassion seeing him he understood that he has already evolved a, to a great extent just only the spiritual dimension has to be opened up so for that the instruction can work wonder so he has to meet him for a few more times but yes maybe it's it was not destined to be so uh, for vidyasagar the this one meeting this this first meeting was the last meeting he never met ramakrishna again but ramakrishna understood the that was the gold hidden in him and that's why what he is saying is something important that what i should like to visit ishwachandra vidyasagar a few more times the painter first draws the general outlines and then puts in the details and colors at his laser the molder first makes the image out of clay then plasters it then gives it a coat of whitewash and last of all paints it with a brush all these steps must be taken successively vidyasagar is fully ready but his inner stuff is covered with a thin layer he is now engaged in doing good works but he doesn't know what is within him that's the spiritual dimension that has to be opened up 
gold is hidden within him gold god dwells within us if one knows that one feels like giving up all activities and praying to god with a yearning soul so that's the the beginning of the pure spiritual journey the journey of the just the journey alone to the alone so that's you have to renounce all your entanglements and think of the divine and divine alone so that you can get one with him so that's what sri ramakrishna is saying so we will continue with this discussion uh, again in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars